How you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Minema. The air is cold, the coffee is warm, and today we <laughs> are talking about free will. Free will, not free willy. No, no. Great film. Great. It's been a long time since I've thought of free willy. I don't even know where to go from there. I was just drawn back to my childhood very, very quickly. All right. Not free willy. No. The free free will. Do you have it? What does it mean? What does it not mean? And what how how does the Bible bear on all of this? You know, throughout the uh most of my adult life, the argument of, you know, do we have uh does human be, do human beings have free will? Yeah. Uh and uh you know, it makes for uh some good discussion, but I think it's important that we there's some things we need to get right and certainly this would be uh one of them. So, you know, that's where do we start? Maybe we we start with just the idea of, you know, this. I think this pertains to salvation. Usually, the argument has to do with with our salvation. Mm. Am am I? Do I have free agency in my salvation? Did I choose God? Right. Did I have right. freedom to choose God? I mean, that's that's the argument that. Luther and Erasmus were really arguing about in free will. Sure. Uh, Bondage of the will, I think, was the name of the book, right? Right, yeah. So, so that's, I guess that's the... Uh, the framing. The, the framing of the yeah. topic. And I, I think instinctually, we just hate the idea that my I'm not entirely free to do whatever I want. Right. Uh, I, well, you say that, but maybe... Well, maybe, 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 maybe we God are. told me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that that very human instinct gets like put on steroids when you add a an American liberty focused mindset that goes with it. Oh yeah, we we hate the idea that we are not free to do it. Right, yeah. just libertarian. I can do what I want. No one can tell me. No government. No person. No. I am free. And we like you know Mel Gibson, Braveheart. We just shout it. Right, freedom is the the highest value. In so many people's mindsets, and it's it's an interesting one because at, I feel that base urge as well. That like, no, I'm I can do what I want. I I have the ability. I have the agency. I can go and create and manifest what I want. I am free, right? Like, there's just a there's a white knuckle. I'll fight you over this type of thing. And so it and, gets charged pretty darn quickly. And there's a lot of fighting that's been done <laughs> over over this. Well, you know, it's interesting, I think, as we, we start talking about this, when we talk about the will and the free, freedom of the will, I think the first thing that we got to really think about is, well, what is the will, right? I mean, does because I think a lot of folks that argue, including myself at one point, who argued for you know free will, is I never stopped to th- consider what the will is. And, and, and I argued as though the will existed. It, it sat out here all by itself and uh, independent of anything and everything else, and it was just free, well... By its nature, almost. Almost by its nature to, well... It- to choose God or reject God, or it is, to choose this or reject that. Sure. So it's like definitionally untethered from anything else, but in making it free, it for it to be truly free, it has to be untethered from right. anything else. Yeah, and I like so I like the word untethered or tethered, and because I think it just paints the right picture. And so as we think about the will, um, I think a couple of real important points. First of all, 
when we think about the will, it isn't untethered. It doesn't sit out here all by itself like a planet, you know, that's just hovering in the universe. If we think about it from a biblical anthropological perspective, my will is part of the part of the inner man. It's part of the, mm. what the Bible calls the heart. Yeah, it's connected to the other components of the inner man. So, for example, and I have in mind the mind, my my mind, uh, my will is tethered to my mind. In, in, in other words, my mind has a com- complete. Um, control over my will. Sure. So I, I think it's probably worth uh, teasing out here just for a moment that particularly in the Hebrew mindset, the heart is not just the center of your emotions. I think we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's worth backing up. When the Bible talks about the heart, the vast majority of the time, and even most of your New Testament is written by people coming out of a Jewish background and are still going to have that kind of framework. The heart is is like the whole person, the whole inner person. Yes, yeah. yes. Your mind, your soul, your your desires, like that is your yeah, heart. It your, is your all conscience, of it. feeling as well as ration rationality. It, it is all of you, right? So it's not the way that we in our culture frequently talk about the heart as like follow your heart. That's yeah. just this kind of like what's what's the longing your your desires that are the, it it's much broader than that in the Hebrew mindset. So at the will being a part of under the broad umbrella of the heart is included in a bunch of different things in the inner man and I think it's absolutely the right place to start. Yeah, and so we we and and just to kind of tie off with what you said when the Bible talks about the word heart, the, the emphasis oftentimes, most of the time, is the mind. Um, and so um, I think that's... So the heart is not just the feeling organ, it's the thinking organ oh, yeah, as yeah. well. Oh, it's, it's because my feelings are tethered to my thinking, or my thinking goes is just going to drive my emotions. The problem is, and I don't want to open up, you know, show the hand here too early, and uh, is that... The Bible has a lot to say about mm. the heart mm-hmm. and my thinking. And so, and as it talks about, as it instructs and informs my heart and my thinking, well, by default, it's saying the same thing about my will. Right. So, but even when we talk about free will, maybe before we get into uh, connecting it to the mind, I, I, you know, in this discussion, I mean, you said earlier, I think you used the term, you know, my will is limited by nature. And can you, um, maybe you can unpack that a little bit. So my will, sure. if, if, if I'm arguing for free will, we've got to agree at some level that, wait a minute, there is, nature limits my will. God, the, the, God's law, laws of nature put limits on human will. Sure. So, I, I mean, what we're talking about of the how the role fits in with the inner man, right? It's it's all connected. So, like, you push on one thing, and it right. Think of a balloon. If you push on one side, it expands on the other. Like, th- you can't mess with one part of it without the rest of it being affected. But apart from that, that that's all internal, which I think we'll keep teasing out here in just a moment. But there there's also external bounds on the will. Yeah, so, these are the easy ones. So let's they get are those, the easy. Let's ones. get those out of the way yeah, first. I. I can't just do whatever I want because I'm limited in like a billion different ways. I can't go, you know, be the fastest man in the world. I I physically 
don't ha- I I may have the desire. I may have the longing. I may like the glory. I may like the idea. But I'm limited. My my will is not able to overcome the constraints of nature. Right. And that's like an easy one. I like I can't fly. I can't I can't be eight feet tall. I can't go visit Jupiter when I want to. You know, like I, I'm bound by all of these limiting realities of the physical world. I want to fly like an eagle. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, right. It'll be a quick I, trip down. I want to heal myself. Yeah. Right. I want to make myself shorter. I want to make myself taller. Uh, smarter. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. More clever with my words. I want to, whatever it may be, word bound all over the place. That's right. That's right. So the, so if nothing else, that's our starting point, right? My will is bound by God's laws of nature. Yeah. We, I mean, I think of another like baseline fundamental, we need Air. We need food. We need mm. rest. Like like our physical bodies have limits, and we are forced to be reminded of those limits. You know, like every afternoon at like three o'clock, where you start yawning, and you're like, "Oh man, uh, my blood sugar is low," or I, "I didn't sleep enough last night." Your body is telling you you are a finite creature. You are bound. Mm. You are yeah. not able to do anything you want. Your will is not free. Nature has a very, very hard ceiling above which you cannot break through. You're just bound. Yeah. There's no way around that. Yep. So, okay, we're in agreement there. That's a hard one. Got, hard for anybody got, to really disagree con- with that I've got one. to concede that one. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, my, gotcha. my will has... Okay. Now, where I think where the, the real... Um, meat of the argument goes as far as the the limits of the we 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 kind of showed our hand a little bit that my will is doesn't sit out here independently it's tethered yeah. to my heart more specifically more precisely it's tethered to my thinking and the scriptures have a whole lot to say about well my heart my thinking yep. and and to kind of maybe open up this and and maybe look at a couple of texts that would be significant is, first of all, the Bible says that my thinking, my heart is, I think the probably the best word is enslaved. Mm. So it's not free. Free is the polar opposite of enslaved. Yeah. So first of all, my heart, my mind, my will, my... have limits. They're, they're not just physical limits, but they're bound by my enslavement to sin. Right. So apart from the natural, just the the top end, the ceiling that I hit, intellectual, I think is a good one. You know, I, I have intellectual limits. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's like really smart, <laughs> who you mention something and they'll go, oh yeah, that's on this page in the third paragraph. And you're like, okay, that's something I, I can't do as much as I would like to. I can't. Great. There's that side. But then the internal side of this I'm not just bound by what I'm physically and intellectually and yeah. I, I'm bound by the fact that I have a sin nature. I'm an enslaved, I like the yeah. word, enslaved to it. Like think of literally, if you can picture, you know, personify your will, that little guy who lives in your head, his, his name, his name's obviously Will. He just lives there. He hangs out rent free. He has a ankle <laughs> chain. And on the other end of that chain is a sin nature. Yeah. He cannot go where he wants to because he's enslaved to sin. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so passages like Romans Roman six is probably the classic and and yeah, absolutely and, uh, verses fifteen through twenty three, but without a supernatural work of God, mm. my heart is enslaved to sin. So I can't choose God. I can't choose righteousness. I am, I am morally limited. Yes. Enslaved to, to my sin. It, the, the I think the, we we've I think touched on this in a previous podcast, but the the theological term that gets attached to this is the noetic effect of sin. Mm-hmm. In other words, sin's effect on my thinking. I mean, we see it in the Garden Genesis three, um, being deceived. We are in our in our lostness. We are all kinds of deceived. We think. Incorrectly about a lot of things, and so if I'm thinking incorrectly, well, my emotions, my will, everything's gonna gonna follow because those are all, as you pointed out earlier, tethered together. I, I mean, absolutely, we're we're bound by our own sin, and so anytime I want, like, the idea that I can choose God assumes too high of a view of yourself. Mm. Right, like I, I come into that. that there's a, I, I like, I, I dispute the premise. I, there's nothing that is natural to me that is going to pick God. I'm going to pick myself. I'm going to pick vain glory. I'm going to pick Luke every time. I'm going to elevate what, what is sinful, what is self-glorifying, and I, if I'm going to try to divert on a different path, I'm going to need a foreign imposition to turn my will towards that other target because the natural instinct of my will is towards sin. Yep. So uh, mentioned Romans 6 earlier, just a couple of verses, won't read the whole thing, but verse 16, do you not know that in your, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either sin, well, which leads to death, or of obedience that leads to righteousness. And and then verse 17, you know, but thanks to God mm-hmm. that you were once slaves of sin, but have become obedient from the heart, there, there's that word again, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become now slaves of righteousness. Yeah, so positive and negative there. Yep. John 8 is is another, okay. you know, classic text on this room, um, John eight thirty four, And uh, let me just read that real quick. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so we could, you know, we could go on and look at 2 Peter 2, 19, but there's this idea that prior to salvation, prior to just our justification, we, our, our wills are not free. Our, our wills are enslaved to sin. It, it's infected us so deeply, it's affected our thinking, our emotions, our conscience, our will, but it is anything but free. Right. So I, I think you're, the, the crux of that matter is right where you have it, right? When you get the nat- natural part, but on the internal, I want to say, no, I'm free to choose God, but that's just not what the Bible tells us. Yeah. And it's not what experience tells us either. Right, I mean, we may, you may we like the idea of being free to choose God, but look at the evidence. Who chose God? Yeah, 
Find me the person who just woke up one morning and went, I think I need to go seek out a creator of the universe to submit my life to. Like that, that's just not in our nature. What is it? How does someone come to great, uh, the, the saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ? God gives them faith. I mean, that's Philippians 1.29. It was yeah. granted to you to believe. You didn't do it. God gave it to you. It wasn't something natural inside of you. It was somebody, God, imposing, breaking you free from that violent, that, that spot weld, that like complete tetheredness to your sin nature. God imposed grace upon us to free us from our enslavement to sin. Yeah. And it, as we saw in that text in Romans 6, to then become a slave to righteousness. So you're going to be enslaved either way. It's going to be towards God and righteousness or towards self-glory and sin. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? Another classic passage. Sure. Um, I love, love John 1, 12. And it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be to, to become children of God. Yep. And then verse 13, who were born, not of blood. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what what your nationality is, nor the will of the flesh. You didn't choose God. Um, your parents didn't choose God, not, nor the will of man, but then, but of God. God, God is the one who is, who has a, <laughs> a free will. In, the in only the, one. In, in the real sense, both, yes. both in the natural world, the physical, what we can see, uh-huh. but also what we can't see. Right. It, it, and, and so um, now when the grace of God and the Spirit of God enter our life and we become children of God, then our will, our mind, our hearts, we're given a new heart. Right, the, the, the we have we still have all kinds of mm. old there, yeah. but now uh, Ezekiel thirteen, we're given a new heart. Now my mind, my will, my emotions. Now I there's freedom that's coming. My f- mm. freedom to, well, freedom to please. You mentioned earlier pleasing self. Freedom now to please God instead of just being enslaved to only please myself. Freedom, to, well to make right choices that are of faith, that are intended to please God. And now my will is truly be experiencing freedom. Yeah. Previously, I uh, like again, if we stick with my uh, metaphor, right, I'm bound in such a way to a sin nature that, that choosing God is out of reach. The chain doesn't reach far enough. I'm, I'm stuck. I've got like a three-foot radius around that sin nature thing, and I can't get out of it. Well, now I've been freed from that, and I can still go back and choose sin, and many do, and we've all, right, that, that also is in Romans 6, right? I, I yep. do the very evil that I hate, but I'm also now, I'm freed in such a way that I can go and choose righteousness. And it's so important here that that uh, grace of God that happens in salvation continues into sanctification. Yeah. That we have the exact same dynamic where uh, we are relying on God to bring about something in us that is not native, right? So you can think of the, the text in, in Philippians 2, that uh, you are to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That I, I'm not... I'm called, and, and this is an important point, I, maybe I'm uh, 
mixing different different directions here. We still have agency. There's there's still an accountability for our decisions. When you say agency, do you mean responsibility? Uh, well, I mean, and I, and 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 okay. So re, by agency, are you saying okay? We still have responsibility, and we have the ability to be responsible. We have the ability to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I. We don't have a will that's entirely free that we're talking about that's untethered from anything, that's not attached to our nature, not attached to our thinking. We don't have a free will like that. It's just it's just non-existent. What we do have is a responsibility before God, and, and you can see this on the negative end in Romans chapter 1, all men are, are accountable. All men. You've seen the created order. You are accountable to God. Uh you can see this in Romans 9, very, very clearly. You think of the famous passage of the potter and the clay or the or Pharaoh choosing, and you go, no, 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 you're still accountable to God. Yes, God is sovereign over all things. You're still accountable. You can see it on the positive side, though, in our own salvation and in our own sanctification, that it is God working within you, and you are still given responsibility. You're still called to repent and believe, even though it's God who gives grace. You're still called to be holy, even though it's God who empowers you to holiness. Both of those things, the Bible has no problem putting both of those things right next to each other and saying, be holy, and God's empowering of the Spirit will help you towards holiness. And that's the hope, right? It's it's not like God's saying, holy, now go do it on your own. Yeah, with, good luck. Yeah. I, 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 I think some Christians have this idea that God saves us, mm-hmm. and then he leaves us to ourselves to grow and change and to become more like Christ. And and what you're what you're saying, like from Philippians two, is that he commands us to grow and to become like Christ. So that command to work out your own salvation is really the idea of sanctification there. And but yet he's saying, you've got the Spirit of God. You so I'm empowering you. I'm equipping you. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God. I've given you everything you need. Different different verse, right? For life, life and, and godliness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and in, again, I want to keep both of the that it's it is God working for my justification and for my sanctification. I always think of First uh, Peter two twenty four on this one because it starts justification, goes sanctification in the middle, and then comes back to justification. So He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, right? Like that. It's like the the substitutionary atonement in a really quick sentence, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, sanctification. Hmm. By his stripes, you were healed right back to justification. And so, like, I'd never want to try and separate those two things. I want to make sure that I keep the salvific work of Christ and the growing in Christ-likeness sanctification. I want to always keep those two things together, that God is working. I can't do either one on my own. Yeah, let's camp here a minute, because this is—I think this is an important point. How would you respond— to somebody who says, okay, I think I hear what you're saying, um, but is if God is if God is sovereign, mm-hmm. if 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 God causes whatsoever to come to pass, you're telling me I'm still responsible, but if God causes whatsoever to come to pass, then why why bother? Why I'm gonna exaggerate my point to make it, but why why should I try to do anything? Why should I if God's just the active agent in—is—how would you respond to that? Yeah. 
and it's a fair, I mean, it's a logical objection, right? And mm. and that's what Paul Paul brings it up specifically. I'm like, hey, let me raise this objection that I know you're going to have and then answer it for you. Um, so that's what he does in Romans 9. And I know Romans 9, 10, and 11 are you know, individuals, nations, and there, there's a lot of debate in that text. I don't find uh, all of that distinction. I mean, yeah, let's leave Romans 9 out of this for a moment. Um, that being said, why would I, if God's going to do it, why would I partake in it? Well, <laughs> why wouldn't you want, like if you've been saved by the grace of God, what part of you would go, I'm not that interested in living to his glory? You have a very, very low understanding of salvation. If your response to salvation is, great, I'll just wait here and God can do whatever he wants. Right? It is a, a great joy. Go read the Psalms. Listen to the delight. Just read Psalm 119 and listen to how much joy the psalmist takes in the law of the Lord. Right? It, I, Meditate on it. I delight in your statutes. It is a joy, right? And uh, what I forget the verse. He's waking up in the middle of the night to go over the statutes because he delights in them so deeply. I think, okay, that is a proper understanding of the gifts that it is, the, the, the immense gift of salvation. I am now freed from that burden of sin. Here's the verse, Psalm 119, 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of night that I may meditate on your promise. Okay, that's a very different view than, well, the sovereign God saved me, I'll just let him do everything, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I now get to live for his good pleasure. That's real freedom. There is it, immense freedom there's, there. There's, and and I, think that's, I think that's the idea there is that I no longer have to live, I no longer have to live for the glory of self. I no longer have to live as though the results belong to me. I am free yes, now yes. because... Because of what has come to me and what comes to me in the gospel, because I'm so loved and cherished and, and, and forgiven, and because of all that, I am now free not to live. I don't, I'm no longer, I'm no longer enslaved to live for the acceptance of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm no longer living as though the results are up to me. I am free now to love God, to love others, and and the freedom is I know that the results aren't in my hands, Yeah. right? I still, I get to do what I do for the glory of God. I'm free to do that now. And there's, there's just this freedom knowing that the results are in his hands. I don't, I don't have to manipulate the results. I don't have to control the results. I can trust him. And so it, it frees me to live for him. It frees me to live for others. There's, that's real freedom. True. Yeah. If you don't, if you have it the other way, right? If it, if it's not by God's grace that I'm saved and sanctified, then it's always on the, my shoulder, right? Then it's a burden. That's mm. exactly what the law is. That's, that's what happens in Jeremiah 31. The law used to be written on tablets of stone outside, apart from you, critiquing you, right? It was this unattainable standard that always sat out of reach, just reminding you of how unworthy you are. But what happens in the new covenant? The law is moved. It goes from being written on tablets of stone to being written on your heart. My people are going to be the ones who live that out with great joy. You you have a new covenant. Christ fulfilled the standard, gave you the benefit, and now you get to live for his glory in the same way yeah. that you're talking about. You've been freed from the burden of earning because it was being it has been given. Yeah. And I and even in this discussion, right, because it can come up even with 
as we talk about salvation, if God's sovereign over salvation, then why evangelize? And it's like, when I hear that, I cringe because I think, no, we, why evangelize? It, it should be, evangelism, we're thinking about evangelism all wrong. Sure. Evangelism should be an outpouring, yes, uh, overflow of what God has done in our heart. So it's not, should I evangelize or shouldn't I? It's like, well, I think in, in First Peter, you were proclaiming the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We can't help but talk about that because it's mm. an overflow. So it's it's not why should we? It's why aren't we? And why? I mean, it's it's. We're coming at that argument all wrong. We evangelize because it's an overflow of what God has done for us. Yeah, that's the exact sentiment of the apostles. I'm going through the book of Acts right now with the 20-somethings, and Peter and John, very early on, they heal a guy who's been crippled for 40 years of his life. The Pharisees are in the Sanhedrin so upset by this because everyone's proclaiming. They, they arrest them, and they bring them in, and they threaten them. And at the end of it, uh, in verse 17 of Acts 4, in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So, verse 18, they called them in, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. I refuse. How could I stop talking about the goodness of God? Yeah. That is the proper motivation for evangelism. How, how, how in the world would you tell me to stop? I don't care. You can, whether it's right or not, that's up to you to decide. I'm going to be faithful to God and I'm going to proclaim. You see, that, and that's the, that's the crossroad. And, and I think that's where, that's where we get it. We, we get a, We don't spend enough time thinking about meditating on being intoxicated by mm. all we have in the gospel. I I talk a lot about this, you know, in, in in counseling. But I'm absolutely convinced of this now. The more that I read Paul, is it's interesting whether it's Ephesians two and three or you know, through Paul is always praying. Mm-hmm. And this prayer for the people isn't that their circumstances would get better or that things would change. Yeah, He's yeah. praying that they would understand the depth and breadth of God's love for them. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason he does that is because when we begin to understand the depth and breadth of God's love, it changes us from the inside out, and we can't help mm. but proclaim. talk about it. We can't yeah. help but proclaim it. So the battle, the battle is really vertical first. The battle is to be overwhelmed, to be intoxicated, to be, maybe the word is controlled by all we have in Christ and what we have in Christ, Ephesians 1, right? And out of that flows evangelism. Out of that flows obedience. And yes, out of that flows... God still holds all things. Yes. And even when I'm evangelizing, and and there's a there's a great freedom in that oh as well. Oh, my word, yes. Because, because it's not <laughs> like... If I mess something up in the evangelistic pitch and I'm like, oh man, all of this is on me to get it right. Well, that, that's crippling. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely crippling because yeah. that person's eternal soul hangs in the balance. And if you, what, you gave them the wrong verse in the Romans road? Sorry, they yeah. don't get in. That's yeah. on you. No, no, no. God is sovereign over all. I proclaim to his good glory and he holds every step along the way. Every particle of existence goes or stops with his permission. There's immense freedom there. There is. Immense freedom. So, and if I were to summarize, my will is bound by nature and by 
right, by the natural world and internally because it's tethered to all kinds of other things. My thinking, my nature, my heart, my desires. It's it's bound. Yeah. In Christ... It's enslaved to sin. It's enslaved... That, that's right. To use the Bible's language, and we should always try to use the Bible's language. In Christ, I can be freed from the slavery to sin and instead enslaved to righteousness, but that is a completely... Right. There is a freedom in being a slave to righteousness that you can never have a, while being a slave to sin. Yeah. Yeah, I now get to live to God's glory, knowing that he holds all things, knowing that he guides all things, and that he is sovereign over all. I have an agency, but it is still underneath the umbrella of God's sovereignty. Yeah, that's good. Well, as we think about wrapping this up, some maybe some good resources. Um, yep. I think the classic work, a uh, little bit difficult to read, but it's worth the lift, is Jonathan Edwards' uh, Freedom of the Will. And, and Edwards, by the way, will, I think it's just the best work on this, but he, when he talks about free will, he connects it, he uses the term mind choosing, which, which again, he takes it to the heart, he takes it more specifically to the mind. And, you know, as he talks about even free will, he, he's talking about the heart's greatest inclination. Mm. And so prior to, Christ, prior to being indwelt with Christ, we're only capable of responding to our highest inclination. Mm. And, and so I, I just think he's, he's the classic work on this, but any other thoughts? Other yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Luther and Erasmus, so Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will, is a, That's a good famous I mean, from the Reformation. If you want a more recent one, we talked not too long ago about John Piper's Providence, which is going to give you a, a very systematic uh, approach to showing all of the Bibles, essentially, uh, teaching on the sovereign control of God of all yeah. things. And he, he's got a chapter in that, a couple of chapters, and I don't remember which ones, it's middle middle towards the back, but dealing with what we're talking about here, man, uh, you know, God's sovereignty or God's providence over salvation, God's providence over, you know, man's choices, and it's, it's, it's a yeah, great work. So pretty pretty comprehensive there. It's a big book, but very readable. Uh, Piper's not; it's not too Academic. deep. Academic. No, no, no. Yeah. It's it, definitely readable. So encourage yeah. that one. Good. Anything else? No, I think uh, uh, we covered it. We covered it. All right. We're, uh, <laughs> the closing thought goes to G.K. Chesterton this time. Out of orthodoxy, he writes: "And the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and an order." The chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild.